here we are back again for All Access USL episode 50. We have finally hit this milestone. There's been so many breaks, so many unwanted breaks um, in this process of getting to episode 50. It's kind of crazy, but we're finally here. Uh, We've hit this now, right before the playoffs as well. It's pretty special um, to hit this heading into this part of the year. And I mean, Here's to 50 more episodes. Here's to getting to 100. Here's to getting to 150. It's been a, it's been a, I was about to say grind. It hasn't been really a grind, um, but it's been a lot of fun. I've been able to talk to a lot of people. I've been able to meet a lot of new people. I've talked to players all across um, USL League One, League Two. Uh, I will hopefully have in the coming weeks a, another um player episode um that's the beneficial part for me now getting to the playoffs as well is that for unfortunately for those teams eliminated from the play eliminated from the playoffs it becomes easier for me to reach out to these teams and to be able to talk to some players so that's a little hint as to where we're going for um this next player episode Uh, And just be excited for more special episodes in the future. I know I've said I've had some stuff planned, unfortunately. Um, Going through with those episodes didn't necessarily seem appropriate. Um, And the schedule I had set out didn't necessarily seem appropriate as well. Um, So everything has been kind of jumbled and mashed together. But we're here for episode 50. It's coming out before the playoffs. It's a playoff preview episode. That is what we're going to to be jumping into but let me just say what a season it has been as someone who got into this league in 2019 to be here now having gone through i'll say a majority of the 2023 season covering it i haven't obviously been able to get to everything um, and i haven't been able to have an episode out for every week uh, and, you know, my locations have changed right now because uh, I'm currently in school. I'm currently in an empty classroom. Someone might be about to walk in here and be the trash. And unfortunately, still no mic. Because like I said, there's these little plastic balls. I don't know where they came from. Like, they're, they're tiny. But one somehow, some way, has managed to fit its way into my headphone jack. Um... And it's just lodged in there. Can't get it out. So no mic for today. But, I mean, the echo in this room isn't too bad, luckily. So that should be no problem. Um, I think I might be coming down with a, not a cold, but maybe like a sinus infection, maybe a cold. Uh, My voice is a bit coarse. Uh, Might be a few coughs I have to cut out or might not be able to cut cut out in this episode. Might be. A water break or something where it's just like a five second pause and I'm taking a drink. But we're here. We're getting this episode out. Um, and I've also had to, I will not lie, uh, a lot of the breaks have been just trying to find the creativity and what I actually want to do with this podcast. Because every other week, I feel like I want to take it in a new direction or I want to do something different or not. 
But now I feel like now it's playoff season, I'm fully immersed in trying to create the best content I can for you guys, trying to cover the best I can. Um, hopefully soon, um, there might be a bit more incorporation of college soccer because I feel like that is growing um, year after year, month by month. It just keeps getting bigger. Uh, I mean, we just had the West Virginia Marshall game. That was huge in terms of um, fan turnout and all that. So, And it was just a big game for both programs in general. So going forward, we might see a little bit more integration of college soccer into the content. Not necessarily a podcast. That probably, It probably, probably won't happen until next season um, podcast-wise. But I think, um, you know, on – all access USL on Twitter and on Instagram, we could have more conversations and content regarding college soccer. And of course, I know, big shout out to Kick a Ball Pod. Absolutely great content. Love what they do. Love that they cover uh, USL League Two and college soccer and give voices to college players. Um, but I think. I would also like to do that because I've been finding myself getting into that a lot as well. And I think that's something that I think I could put my own spin on. Um, and that would be, I think that'd be a lot of fun. So that's kind of what's been happening. That's where I've been, what I've been thinking about um, in these couple weeks since the last episode leading up to now episode 50 and the playoffs. Um, but let's just jump in. Um, or before we jump in, because I'm just going to go over the playoffs for this episode, and then I'll give you a layout of what to expect in the next week or so, because I'm only going to go for the next, or I'll say the upcoming week, week and a half, because um, I don't want to make another tentative schedule and then not abide by it, because that would is probably what's going to happen. So this will be coming out um, Thursday night or Friday morning for whoever is listening, um, just in time for the Saturday slate of games. And then there will be a review episode and a review preview episode uh, Sunday night, Monday morning, Monday at some time, likely. Um, Then after that, hopefully sometime midweek next week, there will be the episode with the unnamed player. And then after that will be um, since the preview and review episode of the first round of the playoffs will be one episode, um, I will jump just straight into another review preview episode after that. And then we'll kind of follow that same schedule, uh, review preview episodes after each round of the playoffs. And then once the season ends, it's kind of a free-for-all of trying to uh, create content, see what's out there. Um, I'll be going to College Cup in Louisville in December. I'm very excited about that. So I'll do some stuff related to that. Um, and just continue off-season coverage of the league. So that's what to expect in the next week and a half. But now let's jump into the actual meat of the episode, what we've all been waiting for. We have gone so many match weeks, so many ups and downs for every team to finally reach this portion of the season where, um, you know, we ultimately – there goes my phone. That was awesome – where – we um, have only eliminated eight teams out of 24. It's pretty awesome. 
Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the playoff structure. I will have to say I think it is very generous in terms of how many slots it provides. I think uh, seven, even just eliminating one more playoff spot from each would be enough and putting seven teams um, in the playoffs from each conference. I think that'd be perfect. I think eight is a bit too much, but that's neither here nor there right now because it's eight teams no matter what. Um, So we'll go, we'll talk about the first um, against eight seeds because I feel like a lot of people always think that first versus eight is straightforward. Um, It's really not. We've got Sacramento, New Mexico on the Western Conference side, and then we've got Pittsburgh, Detroit on the Eastern Conference side. So for Sacramento, New Mexico, this is interesting because I will say New Mexico, out of all the teams left to that had an opportunity to make the playoffs that hadn't um, make or that had an opportunity to make the playoffs, but were outside it. I think that they had the best chance, and they clearly did. They finished three points above um, RGV, four above Oakland, five above Monterey Bay. They get the job done. They won three games in their last – or they won their last three games is a better way to put it. And the way that um, Quill has got this team ticking over from what they were at the beginning and middle of the season – is pretty remarkable. Now, I don't necessarily know if they will be able to get the job done over Sacramento because playing Sacramento in Sacramento is a completely different um, it's a completely different conversation. I am of the opinion that I think Sacramento could be taken away from home by mostly any team. And obviously they've been able to get a job done on the road a lot, but I think they have their um, issues a little bit when on the road or whatnot. But I think at home, Sacramento get the job done against New Mexico United. Sacramento have some absolute weapons um, up top, especially in Russell Cicerone, who's been great this year Um, and absolute props to them who, they debutized Davian Kimbra um, a couple games ago. That was fantastic to watch. So I think in terms of this game, uh, you always have to take first through eight seeds with a little bit of salt. But I'd say, I think Sacramento take New Mexico here purely because uh, Sacramento are too good. And I think a lot of that also comes with um, big game experience. Um that they'll be able to pull from last year in their U.S. Open Cup um, run. So I think big game experience also is a driving factor. So I I think Sacramento takes this over New Mexico. Pittsburgh versus Detroit, on the other hand, is a lot – it's a completely different story. Um, Pittsburgh, in terms of goal scoring, play this year – have been absolutely uh, fantastic. Hey, there goes the phone again. Love that. Um, Detroit, on the other hand, have had to scrape and claw every little bit of the way to get where they are. Um, 
two losses in their last five games. They really made it difficult on themselves. Um, and that's two, three losses against the switchbacks and in the 11. Um, and the 11 is also a team that they could be facing in the playoffs. So that's difficult. But I feel like this is a bit more of a, this is a not so straightforward of a game purely because of um, the last game of the season. And I say that because, I mean, there's not much, I don't think you can always take so much, but. Pittsburgh are drawing Milner at home against Detroit. I think Detroit will be wanting more from last season, um, having exited the playoffs so early. They're in the same position. They're the last seed in the playoffs. Um, They're having to play every game away no matter what. If they even somehow make the um, USL Championship Final, they will be playing that away as well. But they have game changers in their team. They have Nate Steinwasher, who is an absolute brick wall um, in goal. And he may not have hit the heights that he did last year, where he was a goalkeeper of the year contender last year, but he's still been fantastic this year. The Detroit City defense has um, not had as good of a turnover as it has as last year, or from last year, where it was um defense or like goal scoring issues or i guess i think detroit's goal scoring issues kind of um carried over a little bit from last year there were games last year where they were able to break out of that but i think it also dropped a little bit but they were defensively sound last year is what i'm really trying to say um and this year it felt like that kind of just fell apart due to the high Roster turnover. Um, they tried to bring in some names, some USL League One names, um, some MLS names, specifically like O'Neill Fisher. They tried for Brett Levis. Um, these names didn't necessarily work out in terms of getting them where they wanted to be, but they have still made the jump into um, the playoffs. They've got there. They beat out Miami FC on head-to-head is what it – ultimately came down to for both of these teams. So Detroit get the job done. Um, in terms of other game changers, I don't, I don't, I think Nate Steinwasher is the big one. Um, I don't think anyone up top is necessarily someone that you could pick uh, from. So I know I said a lot. I mainly just mean Nate Steinwasher because he counts as a lot for Pittsburgh. I'm necessarily looking at Jamali White in goal, he has been an absolute beast in goal. Getting Jamaica call-ups, keeping Pittsburgh in games, absolutely fantastic saves every now and again, and then just great distribution on the back. Everything you want out of a goalkeeper, everything Pittsburgh wants out of a goalkeeper, a team that likes to keep the ball on the ground, occasionally plays the long ball over the top, um, really tries to find Albert Dikwa um, as much as possible. So... Other game changers, I'm looking really at Danny Griffin. I'm looking at that midfield. Uh, it's really hard to break through. I'm also looking at um, that back line. Everything about this Pittsburgh Riverhounds team is composed. But I think that might be where they get caught out. Um, I think taking the foot off the gas in the last game of the season 
could be a bit of a problem. I think you want to be on go heading into the playoffs, um, and that could be where they get caught out here. I will say that I do still think that Pittsburgh um, get the job done over Detroit, but I think it will be a lot more difficult, or a, I'll say it, I think it'll be a harder um, task than a lot of people think. And I, that they will want, because after this game, it'll be a quick turnaround to um, the next round for whoever they face, for whoever goes through as well. So I think Sacramento get through past New Mexico United. I think that one will be a bit more straightforward. One uh, first versus eight seed. I think Pittsburgh versus Detroit, while it will be a bit more of a battle for Pittsburgh, I still think they get the job done here. Um, so we'll jump over to San Antonio, Colorado Springs, a 4v5 seed. Whoever wins this game uh, will, um, I believe, I'm not too sure on the seedings here how it works, but I believe the winner of this game would face the winner of Sacramento, New Mexico. That's what it looks like, or maybe it recedes. It should recede for um, the highest seed to play the lowest seed, but I'm not too sure on that. The rules here are a bit iffy. But San Antonio, who won it last year, slide down the uh, rankings just a little bit. They fall to fourth. They fall under Orange County, who had a great revival, San Diego Loyal, and then they find themselves in fourth. Only three points above the switchbacks. And the switchbacks have ended the season on a high. And I will say that I do think this is the first upset. I think in Stephen Hogan's first season, he gets uh, the switchbacks past San Antonio FC. Um, I like how the switchbacks have really founded, founded, have really found their identity um, as the season has gone on. Um, and I think a lot of that has come through the trades that they have made and Stephen Hogan's vision. I mean, they bring in Shane Beckford, who's been good. Juante Hada. Um, picked up from he was moved from the Tampa Bay Rowdies to the Indy Eleven um, at the beginning of the season or around the beginning of the season. Then makes the jump from Indy to Colorado Springs mid-season, and he has found a absolute great role um, here. Goalkeeping wise, the switchbacks are sound with Herrera and Kuzminski. Um, defensively, there's always going to be questions for I would say all USL championship teams just because, you know, as teams try to become more composed, more grounded, more um, thoughtful in their buildup, players at this level are going to struggle a little bit. But I think the switchbacks heading in to this uh, playoff uh, year are one of the more sound uh, defensive teams. Um at least in terms of being able to defend uh, coherently, uh, San Antonio, on the other hand, I think they'll. Ha- I think the switchbacks will absolutely have um, a hard time breaking down the San Antonio. Mitch Tantor and Connor Maloney are one of the best fullback pairings, one of the best def- defensive pairings um, in the league. That will be hard to break down, and San Antonio have a lot of options across the board. Uh, the roster's huge. Um, Santi Patino up top, obviously huge. Ignacio Bailone has been great this year. And then Tani Oluwasei. We have seen a, a pure breakout year 
Uh, he's been great in seasons past, but he's brought it to a new level, and he has put San Antonio in a great position. Without them, maybe they're down in six where Phoenix are. So always trying to count on one player like Tani Olawase, and obviously they have other game changers um, across the field that can do a job. But I think Colorado Springs, with their new philosophy under Stephen Hogan, this new kind of approach to the game, whereas San Antonio haven't necessarily ended the season well, and there is always this um, pinch of salt that you need to take form heading into the playoffs. Um, You need to take that into account. I think San Antonio haven't necessarily taken their foot off the gas. I think they've just struggled a bit, and I think Colorado Springs, for what it's worth, have done a phenomenal job. So that's why I think the switchbacks get the job done um, here. So based off the bracket, that would put them up against Sacramento or New Mexico. Either way, that would be a fun time. Um, they would host New Mexico. They would be away to Sacramento. Um, I, 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 it would be a great game. So next up, we have Memphis, Louisville. And this is a difficult game to put into uh, perspective. Memphis, both both sides have shown their struggles um, to get results on the field and also to defend. They have uh, Louisville in terms of putting results on the field. Obviously, we saw at the beginning of the season the 3-0 loss against El Paso, the 5-0 loss against Sacramento, or maybe I'm getting that um, mixed up. But either way, those two big losses, they lose their game um, or their season ender against Tampa Bay, 3-2 at Lynn Family Stadium. That's not somewhere you want to be losing. The Lynn is a great place. It needs to be a fortress for um, Louisville. And there's a lot of players that I think they will have wanted more out of this season. I think Sean Tosh has been great this year. I think Oliver Semley has been an absolute star when called upon for Louisville. He's been great. But I think in terms of who they've picked up, I think they would absolutely want more out of Martin Puels. Um, they meet, most recently got Enosh Mushugalusa back from San Diego. Um, so that could be more of a dynamic option. He offers a lot of different things than Wilson Harris. Um, who hasn't necessarily found his feet this year. He hasn't, or he's been all right, but he hasn't been what I think they wanted him to be, especially after last season. And then Dylan Maris, I don't necessarily think has hit the heights. He's created for midfield. Um, He's a good provider, but I think they would have wanted more out of a midfield that usually gets forward and can score goals and is not necessarily there just to provide, play those balls in for the attackers. Louisville wants their midfield to be active in also um, attacking that box. So I think they want more just across the board. Memphis, on the other hand, also had that difficult start to the year where it looked like Steven Glass was completely out of his depth. Um, I'll always say this, playing with Sean Daly at right back was one of the weirdest things I've ever ever seen in my life. But the squad turnover, um, his philosophy, his players that he wanted to bring in alongside some of the names that were already there, like Nate Pickering, who has been another who has continued from last season. I would say, of course, they bring in Rodrigo da Costa, who's been good. They bring in 
um, all these kinds of players that fit his style. I mean, um, Andrew Romick has been great this year. They bring in Richard Sanchez as a backup. Um, Jeremy Kelly, Lauren Kissidou, all these names. Aaron Malloy has, again, been a, in terms of USL Championship, has been a world-class midfielder. Um, Emerson Hyman, a great pickup midseason. Um, it all fits in this aura of what Steven Glass wants. And I think that based off results, based off how these teams have ended their seasons, taking all that into account, I think Memphis do um, beat Louisville here. And then we'll, we'll go to the stat as well. Louisville have the worst goal difference for a team that has finished fifth or above. It's negative three. Um, you'd have to go back to 2017 FC Cincinnati, who finished negative two in, on a negative two goal difference in sixth place. So for Louisville to be here and be this poor defensively and this poor offensively in terms of making the playoffs this high is pretty impressive. But I think it's going to cost them um, early on. And, you know, there's always an opportunity for a dark horse run here. And I guess if you're going to pick a dark horse run out of anybody, it has to be Louisville. It, it has to be Louisville because they have that championship DNA. But I think this year and this year alone under Danny Cruz has been a disappointment. And I think it will end here with a loss to Memphis. And that will be another playoff win for Memphis that will put them in the second round. I think that would get them very excited. And, you know, Maybe Stephen Glass is the answer that they've needed after losing Ben Pierman to Charleston. It'll be interesting to see. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the last four playoff games. All right, we are back from that quick little break. And in that time, we've picked up our co-host. Welcome back. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, good, good to be back. Uh, I mean... You know, it's uh, a lot has transpired, per se. Um, <laughs> say that. That's definitely that's, something to say. Yeah, especially especially with uh, you know who, which you know you you probably won't get twenty minutes of my normal rant because you already know it is what it is, honestly. But yeah, unfortunately, you know. we won't get to hear about Monterey Bay in this episode. But there's a time and place. We'll do a episode of what does this mean. For every team that missed the playoffs uh, rather soon, I'm sure that'll be out in at least or at most the next two weeks. So be on the lookout for that alongside all the other shit I said at the beginning of the episode. So that's something to look forward to. We got our co-host back for this portion. Love to see it. So we're going to jump right into it. We have San Diego Phoenix next up. And both me and Noah agreed that for San Diego – this feels like their year purely based off circumstance. I mean, I don't know if you saw the um, corporate kind of build of the badge today for the MLS team. I swear. It's disappointing, to say the least. Um, to see them go from something so grassroots and something so community-driven and built – um, at a intimate stadium like Torero, um, to going to Snapdragon, to from going to this, like I said, corporate kind of build 
there's no direction taken from the San Diego Loyal. This is pure kind of like just MLS style. It sucks. But that's besides the point. They still have this whole – they have – it's game by game now. Um, every game is going to be taken like it's their last. All these players' futures are on the line with every game. They don't know if they will end up at another championship team, League One team. Um, it's all in the air. This is their best opportunity. So putting aside everything that Phoenix have done this year in terms of getting back to it, um, I I favorite San Diego here. I don't know about you, but we both agree that San Diego, it's like written in the stars. <laughs> well, I think the biggest thing for San Diego this year is, I don't know if you remember last year, but towards the end of the season, they, they went on a pretty bad stretch of form towards mm-hmm. the end. And so they went into the playoffs, yes, as the number two seed, and they had home field advantage against the Roots. The problem was, again, they were in bad form. And because they're in bad form, it seemed to carry over into the playoffs. And they kind of underestimated the Oakland team. Like, everyone underestimates Oakland because, you know, they're Oakland. Um, and so, yeah, they 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 got caught pretty much. Um, and it's, it's not to say that they weren't a good team. It's just that they just weren't in good form. This year, though, it feels a bit different. I mean, I get it. They won against Las Vegas in their final game. But in the in the process as well, they also beat Oakland 4-1. to one. They also beat us. Excuse me, they beat Oakland 4-2. to two. They beat us 4-1. to one. Um, And, of course, they had that crazy comeback against us, the the, the 3-2 comeback. Um, no, the 2-0 the, the comeback in which they won 3-2. So you, you can kind of see how they are really – how they've come to form – at the right time. And I think that is going to translate over into this matchup. And it is, again, it's interesting because Phoenix have gone from the lowest of lows to, I wouldn't say the highest of highs, but at least back in the playoffs. And at times they have looked vulnerable, um, particularly uh, in, in defense. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the main thing. I mean, we kind of saw that against New Mexico as well. The giveaways off the back line, the penalty, that Greg Hurst, you know, great, great work by him, but still it's all their own doing sometimes. And so the fact that it's going to be sold out, the fact that San Diego, you know, this is going to be the last run. I favor San Diego. I'm going, I'm going San Diego three, Phoenix one. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, Juan Guerra has done a fantastic job at Phoenix. Don't get me wrong. But there's an art to having something so big to lose at this point in the season, which is not your history, but your future. So San Diego will be amped up more so than any other team could possibly imagine. And they just have that setup now that they didn't have in the last few years to get them to the final. They have game changers. They have players like Nalati who can come on and do stuff like those two goals that help them to that win. Um, you know, they have players like uh, Evan Conway, who has been, who has incre- absolutely upped his game this year. You know, they have Joe Corona. They have MLS experience. They have players with big games, ex- with big game experience. Blake Bodily. Exactly. Blake Bodily coming in from Portland Timbers. That young, 
Flair, Perez, stuff like that. Players from all different kinds. Like Perez was playing indoor soccer, then joins DC United, then comes over to San Diego Loyal, or was playing indoor soccer after DC United. Shit like that. It's a not a ragtag team. It's like we're not playing, you know, like co-ed soccer here, but it feels like they have dug deep every which way in terms of on-field play and building this roster, and it just feels right. So props to Phoenix for coming back after that 2021 year, which was, I think, the lowest you could ever be. Last year was difficult, but they put the right um, things in motion to build to this year, and I think 2024 will be even better. I mean, this is a New Mexico team two years ago. We saw them beat 7-0. Uh, or beat Phoenix 7-0 when Phoenix had all those youngsters. You know, it's crazy how much can happen in just two seasons with competent front office work. But I do agree. I think uh, New Mexico takes this 3-1. It feels like it, or San Diego takes this 3-1. I was so on top of New Mexico earlier that I said New Mexico. Um, so that's where that's where I go with this. Um, and, you know, they they – the supporters of San Diego, they unfurled a TIFO, of course, because why were they the last home match ever against Oakland? It said, bury us with the cup, which I think is absolutely stone cold. I absolutely love that. And I think, I think that kind of sums up the vibe that that team has right now is bury, bury us with the cup. Yeah. Right? Uh, it, it just, again, it's just in the headlines. It's in the storylines. You, you can kind of sense it almost. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be a great run, I think for them. And a a quick tidbit. Um, I don't think the blame is necessarily on USL, um, in terms of their death or in terms of them having to fold as a USL championship team. So I think it's just in, I think that saying is just in like good faith is like, this is the end of the road. We know. Yeah. And I mean, even Vasiliadis came out and said, well, the reason why we're folding is because we can't find a proper stadium to play in. We looked all up and down the coast, north, south, and inland as well, and we couldn't find a proper place to play. And so, therefore, you, you have to fold, pretty much. Yeah. Um, it will be interesting. A quick little tidbit before we jump into the next one. It'll be interesting to see where their USL rights go as well, because there are so many options there are so many mid-level 200 to 400K cities left that have a soccer culture ready to be built. Um, there was talk of, I believe, Santa Barbara or Santa Clara. Um, Santa Barbara is obviously getting the Santa Barbara Sky soon in USL League One. So I think that would be a bit uh, conflict of interest. Uh, if it stays in California, I wouldn't be too opposed to it, but I think there are some Midwest teams um, some northern teams or some northern cities, some Midwest cities that could do well here. But I also know keeping the integrity of the Western Conference is important. Now that you're adding um, Milwaukee soon and Rhode Island. And, yeah. you know, there's going to be Jacksonville in 2025 and New Orleans and all this stuff. You really got to build this Western Conference now that uh, the East is kind of taking over. And it's crazy how it feels like in the higher tiers, in the U.S., it feels like the Western Conference is kind of like the focus. You know, you're like, oh, Las Vegas or like, you know, Tucson or Phoenix or whatever, that shit. But 
here it's the Western or Eastern Conference. It's Rhode Island. You know, it's all these areas that you wouldn't really think, but it's like there's something to be built there. And Absolutely. doing it well. So props to them. Hopefully San Diego finds a new good home somewhere else, something somewhere that can take care of them, somewhere that can cherish that team and those rights. But we're going to move over to a league maverick um, in the Charleston Battery and the Indy 11. And I, I don't know about you. You can give me your opinion on this. End of May, I would not have said that Indy 11 are in a playoff spot. Um, I mean, I think, did I say that Indy 11 were going to be in a playoff spot? I can't remember if I did or not. I certainly didn't doubt them. I didn't, I didn't put past them to make a playoff spot from, from what I remember at least. Um, but certainly what they've done has been a great turnaround. Again, last year, their biggest problem was, and it's also our biggest problem, but I won't talk about that, uh, is the inconsistency in form. And our season, honestly, was much like what Indy 11 had in, in 2022. There was this one specific stretch where they lost, like, I don't know, 10 games in a row, or they went 10 games winless or something, something like that. And that, that cost them the season. It did. And by the time... Playoffs rolled around. They were twelve points out. Now we weren't twelve point out, points out, but still, that stretch of games cost the Indy Eleven the playoffs that year. Now, this year, they were able to string together results, and in doing so, they put themselves in prime position to do so. And guys like the newcomers, like Cam Lindley, um, Stefano Pino came back. Uh, and of course, you're going to get what you get from Solomon Asante because he's a, a great player. And nonetheless, they got contributions from other players as well. Um, of course, Aiden Quinn, all those, all those other guys that that came in as well, really important players. And in doing so, they were they were able to get back. And so it, it, it's a it's a really big accomplishment for them, I think, and it's a step in the right direction for Mark Lowry. Absolutely. Um, I think what really sets this Indy 11 team apart, or I'll say, I think that a, or as the season's gone on, this team feels more like Mark Lowry's team. I think he came into this season um, with a team that didn't really fit his philosophy and his style of play. I'll always go back. I like going back to the games I've been to in person because I've seen how they play. I went to that Easter weekend game where they played the Oakland Roots. It was so disheveled, so unorganized. Um, they lost 3-0 at home. And then you're coming to this end of the season, you know, where he has that summer transfer window to get players in that he wants. And I'll, I'm going to shout out a specific player here who I think has been reborn um, after their move uh, at the beginning of the season to Indy. It's Yannick Little. He has been fantastic in goal for Indy 11. And he had a hard time those first couple of months, but now he's figured it out. He's helped Indy here. I do think that this task is still a bit too big over Charleston. We know what Charleston are capable of. One of the most, I'll say probably the most fun team to watch in terms of attacking soccer, um, in terms of, Maybe not style of play, but just end-to-end soccer, Charleston always have it. 
And I don't think that ends here, even with Indy's more conservative style of trying to still play that long ball. They do it way better than they did at the beginning of the year. But they're still a bit conservative in how they play, especially in playing from the back. But Charleston are go, go, go all the time. And I think it will overwhelm them, especially in this setting um, that they haven't seen for a while. I mean, um, Augie Williams, a playoff Augie Williams, a playoff Fidel Barajas, it's scary how what they could do. Maybe maybe not a dark horse, maybe like a front runner for the cup, but they're up there for sure. Yeah. I think I mean we we kind of discussed those discussed it as well. Um if there's any team that could go down to Patriots Point and win a game, probably in the eleven because they've done it before. They've, they've done, done it many times before. They've done it before. They they they've simply done it before. And they know how to get it done down on that turf. Nonetheless, I think Charleston have they have an aura about them, I think. That is which is a club basically reborn. Like literally, I mean it it's it's hard. I mean, they completed the the most the biggest turnaround in USL championship history. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're comparing this to other sports as well, like, you look at basketball with the with the Celtics in 2000, I think it was 2008, 2007, 2008, or something like that. They completed the biggest turnaround in the NBA history. This is probably, in my opinion, graded. Because, again, they were, they were bottomed here. They were not too far off from falling below the freaking New York Red Bulls. The New York Red Bulls, too, team, like – that's how bad they were last season. Um, and really, it all stemmed from a defense. And so the, they brought in Purcell, and they brought in Derek Dodson, and that, I mean, it flipped the switch. It really did. Not not to mention Ben Pyramid as well. But I think because of that, and because of the chemistry that they have and the attacking prowess that they have, I think I'm going to go Charleston 2, Indy 1. I think that's fair. I would I would say Charleston two Indy nil because I don't think that even with <clears throat> Charleston's defensive issues that still have carried on. I mean, defensive issues are hard to um, scrub out of a team, especially a team that was one of the worst defensive teams we've ever seen last year. Um, it's difficult, but I think it's Charleston is a new monster um, in the playoffs. I mean, Ben Pierman managed to get Memphis their first playoff win last year. That's already a great resume for this league, if I have to say, especially getting Memphis there in the first place. So I think it's just – it's a good recipe for getting Charleston far. And Indy, unfortunately, will be the first culprit in this situation. Um, Again, Indy, I think, is one of those teams that they've had the success before. Um. They've kind of fallen off the track a little bit, but next season they're building brilliantly towards a fantastic 2024, just like Phoenix are. So I wouldn't put it past them to finish like third or fourth in the East next year. If they continue on this trajectory of, you know, smart acquisitions, letting Mark Lowry do what he does best. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, We have two games left. Let's let's stay in the East because I think the Western Conference game is a bit more 
of a toss-up than this game is. We're going to go Tampa Bay-Birmingham. Um, Tampa Bay continue their run of good seasons, but not being able to get the job done quite enough in the regular season. They finished second behind Pittsburgh, uh, only four or five points behind. Birmingham, on the other hand, really struggled. It felt like they were on course especially after 2021 and 2022 to keep going, but something this year just kind of, they've, they've hit a brick wall. Uh, I think uh, bringing in players wise, they had the right ideas, but it clearly hasn't um, transferred onto the field. Like we saw them start the year uh, well, that Tyler Pasher magic. How can you forget that? You and me, we've talked about it plenty of times the first month or yeah. two uh, that the season was going on in uh, March and April. But the production has mainly stopped. Um, the defensive capability has mainly stopped. Under Tom Sane, they've fallen off this year. And I wonder how much more they take of this, especially now that Kamani Smith has left for Rhode Island. And now with an assistant gone, you know, there's an opportunity to change the head coach uh, for next year. It might be a bit of a transition year. They might miss the playoffs next year, but I think you almost risk it if you're just kind of in this mid to mid table, low level playoff purgatory that you're not going to get out of. But that's, that's my take. Yeah. I mean, Birmingham definitely confused me as a team because, again, they have an incredible amount of talent. They have Enzo Martinez, who is, you know, practically one of the greatest USL championship legends, uh, veterans at that. Um, and then, of course, they have Tyler Pasher, who is incredible at the at the USL level. And then, you know, he goes up to MLS, maybe struggles a bit, and then he comes back down. So again, they have all these players. Juan Agadello. I mean, what what more is to say about him? Um, and then Alex Canali, and then Matt Van Opel, who is a solid goalkeeper at that. Trevor Spangenberg can also be a solid goalkeeper. They have a, a good rotation there. But again, they just confuse me because of the fact that they have such attacking quality, it seems. Yet at times they can't find that clinicality, if that makes sense. At some time, at some points, they, they almost struggled to score goals. And I think that was that was very evident in the final game they played in Charleston. They were so close to scoring. And even the turnover from Charleston there at the end, they couldn't capitalize off of that. So that's going to be the biggest thing I think for them going into the next season can they improve that clinicality and score goals because you could have a good defense but if you don't score the goals it's just you can't you can't do that which I do think they have a good a decent defense they have a good defense to to hold out against some of the better teams but again you gotta score those goals and they just really have not been. yeah um and I think the idea is there for Birmingham to be a good team. I just think that there's two, there are two, three 
connecting players away from being that good team. I think they have a lot of players who are good on their own, but don't really have another player that complements them enough to where they can be a good team. And then on the flip side, you have Tampa Bay who have done that perfectly. Um, and you think about the strike duo of Cal Jennings and J.J. Williams. It's been absolutely fantastic this year. J.J. Williams playing more of a, not provider role, but kind of drop back and provide role for Cal Jennings and letting Cal Jennings do a lot of the scoring has been fantastic. J.J. Williams has been on the score sheet um, a lot as well. And then you have the additions of players like Charlie Dennis and it's just a recipe for success for Tampa Bay. Um, I think they take this game fairly easily. I'm going to go 4-0. Um, I know you talked about 3-0. I know we just said that Birmingham have a good defense, but I just think that Tampa Bay, again, we're gonna. I'm going to use the same saying, different monster in the playoffs, especially I still think that even though – um, they've had two years to rectify what happened in 2020. They still have a bad taste in their mouth for missing that final. Um, I don't think this is necessarily their best opportunity at it, but it's as good as op- a, an opportunity as ever for them uh, to win it all. I mean, they've, yeah. I mean, they have, I'm going to say his name again. They have Cal Jennings who has come from, a Las Vegas Lights organization, an LAFC organization that didn't um, really not like him, but didn't really appreciate him and his abilities. And now he's here. He's playing his trade. It's scary, especially other players that they have who don't necessarily have something to prove, but um, will want to show up. And I'm thinking of Freddie Kleeman, especially He's had a difficult year. In the most recent game, that own goal against Louisville made it a very tight ending. Um, He's had his issues in MLS. He's had his issues here. He'll want to lock it down, but they have players that want to prove a point. They themselves as a team want to prove a point, and they have the players to do it. So I think Tampa Bay take it pretty uh, seamlessly here. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going I'm going three nil for that as well. So I'm I'm fa- I'm fairly confident. Um, I, I'm I'm just I'm just hoping and praying it's not Louisville and Tampa in the conference finals again. I think in terms of you know what after this next game we can talk about who we think will make the conference finals. Bit of a bit of a thing. Not um doing the not going all the way quite yet. Leave some room for further episodes for us to talk about, but. We'll pick the conference finals. Um, but in terms of games I'm most sure about will go my predicted way, I think this is the game. This is like almost a lock. Um, but we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on to the last game. It's none other than Orange County, El Paso. This is a battle of I don't I don't know how to put it. Two teams that at the beginning of the season, it looked, well, at the beginning of the season, we'll say El Paso started hot. Um, They did that last year, but under Brian Carhart, they've been able to get the job done and they've made it in the playoffs under like, or unlike last year where, where they had that hot period from like April to mid-June 
and then it all just fell apart and they won like two games in the last like 18 or 19. Um, they've done it here. They have finished seventh. It's not a terrible look considering where they were about six or seven games ago. But Orange County, after 2022, uh, under Chaplau, and under 2023, under the initial period under Chaplau, and the first little bit under Carlson, it looked like it looked dire. And we were having these talks of, you know, LA Galaxy won a championship soccer stadium as their reserve stadium. And there was these talks of Orange County possibly being moved out or even folded as well. And it's like, what is happening to our California teams? What is happening to this league? But now we've gotten out of this period. It's more stable. And Orange County finish second. Um, they lose Milanoloski. Obviously, he's still there until January. But it feels like also on a national scale, they're getting recognition. And they've been building that youth academy. And now it's all paying off in terms of what they have built um, in just like the past year. It feels like a big, it's a, it's a huge year for them. I mean, think about it as as well, right? We had three teams last year that had down years by their standards. I mean, not just down years, but extremely down years. Um, Orange County was definitely no exception, in particular of that because they won the title the year before. And I don't want to say they they made too many changes. I mean, they had big contributors go, right? Um, uh, I, I forget I forget his name. Uh, the, the the center back that that went. And then, uh, of course, Doss went away. Yeah. And that's that was a big loss. And we just were like, oh, Milano lost him, Milano lost him. Now, of course, I wasn't really a fan of USL until Mario BSC game. But still, from, from what I heard, it was like, Milano lost is going to be that guy. The problem is Milano lost can only be that one guy who else is going to contribute. And that was the main problem last year for them, I think. It was just Milanovsky and no one else. Um, and so the, the turnaround has been palpable this year. They, again, routing players like Mark McNulty, Kevin Langford, Owen Lamb at the back, who has been fair, fairly solid. I know you're high on him, but he, he has been solid. He even scored a goal. Um, and then Mark, I, I did mention Mark McNulty, of course, Brian Lowski is always going to be there as well, but really, it 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 was it was there in the attack that things really turned around. Getting the again, getting those contributions from other players is what made them. And then, of course, the job Morton Carlson has done is it's it's admirable. It, it really is admirable. And I know some some other coaches are going to get recognition for coach of the year, and he he has to be up there. I don't care if he came in mid-season. He has to be up there because when he came in again, things were dire. Yeah. And down in like 10th you know they, they're yeah they're down tenth and eleventh, and it looks like oh boy, here we go again. No, he he turns he turns it around, and you know he he just man, there there's not a whole lot to say about that. I think um, that's just really incredible, and not to mention they keep churning out talent as well. Um, Coretti Oshindina is still with them. Um, I think no, Coretti Oshindina got got transferred. I'm fairly certain. But, to Feyenoord. Um, to Feyenoord, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of Bryce Jameson. That's who I was thinking of. 
Um, again, they, they again they keep turning out talent. It's incredible. And of course, Milano Oski too, to North Shelland. So in this one, I do slate um, Orange County, I think. And because they've just had such an incredible turnaround, because they've come in uh, so on fire, um, great, great job by Claire Hout, I think, you know, Mm, it's never easy coming in as a as a first year coach, especially with the resources he had. I mean, and, and Lucho has been what Lucho has missed like, or he had missed like three three to four months or something like that. So there goes your goal scoring almost. Um, but defensively, El Paso been good, but still, nonetheless, I'm slating Orange County. I'm going Orange County two nil. Yeah. I give El Paso more credit um, in a playoff uh, setting purely because I think every team raises their standards a notch or two in the playoffs. I think it'll be a close game. I'll give it to – I'm still going to give it to Orange County, though. They've done too much work to let it slip away here. But I think I think they take it 3-2. Um, and I think it'll, it'll, it'll be an interesting game, to say the least. Uh, and I, th- I think Orange County – will go a long way. I know you can always say that about high seeds and all that, but, you know, there's always an opportunity for a high seed to take their foot off the gas towards the end of the season, and then that um, sets them up for failure in the playoffs. I think Orange County, in terms of high seeds, are one of the better picks to go far. Um, So we've got seven minutes left. Let's pick – let's quick fire these um, – Conference finals. I'll let you go first for the West. Who do you think is going to make the conference final? I think it's going to be Sacramento. Uh, And should I pick the other team as well for fun? Yeah, go for it. Sacramento and, you know, I'm just going with the big boys, San Antonio. Sacramento versus San Antonio for the conference finals. Um. That that may just be like me looking at the the teams and being like, oh, they're the number one seeds. Well, you know, or the top seeds. Well, they they are the top seeds for a reason, I think. And just because San Antonio missed the second seed, I don't think that necessarily matters. Uh, I know you have Colorado beating San Antonio. If I'm not correct, I do. I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, again. San Antonio, they're, they're the mentality of monsters. They're nicknamed that for the re- for a reason. And I know they don't have Samuel and Jenner. And towards the end of the season, they looked, you know, just okay. They looked past um, the best. They looked past the best. But again, I think, like you said with El Paso, when the playoffs come around, they flip a switch. And I think that's what's going to happen with San Antonio. Um I mean, I hope I'm not wrong about that. But again, you could see another situation like last year with San Diego, right? Again, San Diego goes in a hor- in horrible form. San Antonio goes in passive form, okay form, and they get knocked out in the first round. So that could very well happen. But I just don't see that from the defending champs, honestly. Um, I think they have too much quality. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Sacramento versus San Antonio for the conference final. Um so should be interesting though. Yeah, for me, I'm gonna go Sacramento. It has to be one seed. They have plied their trade well um this year. It'd be criminal not to pick them. 
But I'm going to go San Antonio, or not San Antonio, San Diego <laughs> for that um, other conference final spot. I mean, I've talked about it plenty of times. It just feels right. Um, and I think a Sacramento-San Diego Western Conference final would be absolutely electric. So I'm kind of setting that up in my own mind as something that I want to see, but I also do think it will happen. Eastern Conference, what are you thinking? Eastern Conference. Man, I think I have to go Pittsburgh. I mean, mm -hmm. they're just too good, I think. Lily Ball is what what more is to say about it. It's probably the best form of football in uh, the USL right now. It's I think there's no doubt about that. Um and then for me, honestly, it's like it's like a I, I do want to slate Tampa Bay, you know, because they're really good. But then I also look at it and I see Charleston and Charleston is there and they're 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 waving at me and saying hi. <laughs> and it's I think I'm gonna go Tampa though, because again the players that they brought in, and yes, I'm going all the big teams because they're just – they have quality, I think. Now, I do think as well, San Diego – you know, I'm going to change it. I think San Diego is going to make the Western Conference Finals. Ooh. It's going to be San Diego versus Sacramento as well. Um, so I'm changing that right now. And then, yeah, I'm going to go Tampa and Pittsburgh in the Eastern Conference Finals. Love it. I will. I second you on the first seeds making to the conference finals. I think this is a year where it's straightforward that the first seeds have done so much work and they played so much better than the rest of the uh, pack that it doesn't make like. Obviously, they might have an off game, but their quality and their standard is too high for them to drop a game. Now, the final is a different story because obviously you can only have one winner. Um, but I think both one seeds make it to the conference final. I'll agree with you on Pittsburgh. For me, though, um, you go Tampa Bay. I go Charleston. I like what they have done this year. I think they have – I don't – I think Tampa Bay have more in it than Charleston in terms of resurrecting um, – not even past failures, just not being able to play a final. But I think Charleston just play better, play more freely, and that in the end will edge them over Tampa Bay should they play um, in the playoffs, which I don't know if they will. I'm, I'm not too certain on – I don't know if it's reseeded every time for the higher seed to get the lower seed, but – Whatever. Mm -hmm. Maybe they play before then, maybe not. But I think Pittsburgh and Charleston make it to the conference final. That's what we see. So that's going to be it for today's episode. Episode 50. Forgot to say, well, I did say it at the beginning of the episode, but no one ever heard that. Episode 50. We I was not here. Yeah. We finally hit it. Um, Like I said, we'll have a next round preview and a first round review episode out sometime early next week or on Sunday night or whatever. And then we've got a player episode coming up. I will, I'll drop a hint. Plays for FC Tulsa. Very excited for that. Um, and then after that, we'll just follow the same routine of uh, playoff round preview reviews until we hit the final and then it's off season content. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Noah, for being back, for joining me for episode 50. And this 
part of the episode. Uh, and we will see you guys next time.